1: up everybody mitch michaels here along with my betting cast of experts one new face in particular it's tennis bets every wednesday during the clay court season we're on the tennis bets twitter the tennis channel facebook the tennis channel youtube as well mitch michaels here as we get ready going i got a cast of people to introduce uh we're gonna start with our newest guest of the show uh, pamela maldonado is here and it's the first time she's been joining the show uh we wanted to to, you know, class to join up, as they say, so we brought in an expert, someone <laughs> that has a huge track record as well. Uh, Pamela, welcome to the show. I hope you fit in well here and we'll be on our best behavior.
2: As long as we can agree that Novak Djokovic is the greatest, then yes, <laughs> we will get along just fine. We will get along just fine.
1: Right, well, we're, we're starting out strong. I like that. Uh, <laughs> we'll re- do the intros first as well uh, from Crack Rackets, the extraordinaire. No one talks more tennis each week and this guy Alex Gruskin. welcome back to the program
0: pleasure to be here I feel like this is the poorest man's around the horn and I'm honored to have a spot on it
1: poorest man's but the most expensive bricks that's for sure <laughs> in here sitting behind his zoom background as well and then Kenny Ducey coming I think from New York City I think from this century uh, you can find his Patreon picks every day covering tennis as no one else can Kenny welcome back I think I'm going through some tactical difficulties, so I actually don't hear you. But I,
3: I was reading your lips, Mitch, and I think you said something about Matteo Berrettini. So I'm going to take that and just run with it. Uh, no, I'm just joking. It's great <laughs> to be here, as always. And uh, Rome is one of my favorite tournaments ever. So uh, I do think that it's going to be a good week and a half. And we're, we're, we're at this point, we know, we know who the players on clay are. You know, it's going to be mm-hmm. a really good Roland Garros, I think. And I'm ready to, uh, to, to springboard into the big, the big Grand Slam.
1: So I want to start with looking at last week's Madrid final. The, both the men's and women's matches were exceptional. Uh, and if you start with, you know, both going three sets, Alcaraz takes the title. He defends his Madrid crown, Madrid crown. But Pamela, he does it against someone who wasn't supposed to be there. A lucky loser makes the final in Jan Leonard Struff. That had never happened before in a Masters event. Struff went the distance, went three sets, fought admirably. But from the Alcaraz perspective, he has another big expectation in front of him, and he delivers. So. Tennis might not have been his perfect most crisp, but he fights, he finds a way, he hosts another trophy.
2: Well, I mean, his serve wasn't there. We're talking about he maybe wasn't playing 100%, but it was just his lack of serve. Um, Akras, he's still not a high-caliber server at this point. I think you can even put Djokovic in there as being like way stronger than what Akras is right now, but in that match against Struff, he had 67% win first serves. That's not great. He was – it's not even about the power or the speed. He didn't have the placement. He was trying to go for Struff's backhand, but it just wasn't consistent enough. Um, He figured it out, though, in the third set, and that's kind of what helped him kind of cruise along there at the end. But it's still just one of his weakest points. He knows how to do a kick serve, but he doesn't hit it consistently. He's – more often than not, he's trying – Against Struff, who's somebody, well, how tall is he, like six four, six five. 6'5"? He ended up serving into like his strike zone, so it ended up being a lot of balls were getting returned to yep. bat. And even somebody like Struff, who's not the greatest returner, was still having high success yep. against it just because it's not a high caliber yet. And right. Madrid, we know it's a faster surface, so if you don't have that placement, if you don't have that power, you're going to kind of get exposed a bit.
1: So, Gruskin, going off of what Pamela just said there, you talk about Struff, who you said you got to see at the challenger level. He talked about his new purpose, everything that's gone well for him. He put it all together this week, and he played against Alcaraz. I think, I mean, you you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but the only way you can really try to play against this guy is he went for everything and came up a little short. But this, I don't want to say blueprint, but this style of play was pretty much his only chance, and he was right there.
0: Yeah and part of that come or brings up the question How well suited or is Jan-Leonard Struff perfectly suited to play a Carlos Alcaraz? And certainly the conditions in Madrid have to help. You're at altitude. The ball is going to fly through the court. It's just going to be easier to, as you pointed out there, Mitch, do what you have to do against Carlos Alcaraz, which is be the aggressor, which is say, I don't really care what's going on on your side of the net. I'm going to try and execute what I do, and hopefully that's good enough to beat you. Now, to your point earlier, that Struff was almost good enough to beat him, People aren't talking about that enough. And I think part of the reason people weren't in shock and there wasn't as much awe about the run of him as a lucky losers, because any of us who have eyes, you watched the tennis and you were like, yeah, that's top 10 play. And so, you know, I really don't read too much into this specific Alcaraz result, other than the fact that he won it. And like, that's really all that matters is consolidating his place at the top, confirming that, hey all roads run through me, and until we see what a healthy Djokovic looks like, mm-hmm. I'm not saying all roads run through him, it's not the yellow brick road, to stick with the team. No. <laughs> He's certainly on that road. It's like, there's two signs. It's like, exit one, here are the restaurants. Exit two, here are the gas stations. Exit one is still Djokovic, but two is now Alcaraz, and it's the same path.
2: Well, you oh. we say that there's not enough to, there's not really anything to pull away from this match, and I think there actually is to still learn something from Alcaraz, is that he was struggling with his serve mightily in the first set and in the second set. But what he at 20 years old, he has the court sense that you see from somebody like a Novak Djokovic, who has years of experience and he figured it out. He realized that what was the only serve that was working for him was the kick serve, and he used it heavily there in that third set. Mm-hmm. So he it took him two sets to figure it out, yeah. but he adjusted, which is something that you don't see a lot from a lot of players in on tour much less from any. You just yeah. don't really see it outside of Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal. Those are like the two players who know the corrections they have to make and then actually be able to implement yeah. that. And you saw that from somebody who just turned 20.
1: So Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, Kenny, as we go into Rome now, and we're going to segue to that in a little bit, but Alcaraz deciding to play a lot of tennis, did not play this last year, expanded draw, People have said if there's a concern for Alcaraz, it's staying fresh, staying healthy for the big goals. Are you surprised that we're going to see more Alcaraz on the road to Roland Garros when we didn't last year?
3: Uh, I'm not because he's young, and he also missed time this year due to injury, so I think he's trying to make up for lost time. I, I would echo what uh, what Pam and Gruskin said about Alcaraz's serve. I think that, that was something that we, I mean, now we've been here several weeks talking about Carlos Alcaraz. That was one of the things I highlighted about his, his real run, like, you know, holding serve on clay, especially is really the only place that he's really struggled. And we saw that against the Leonard's group. We've also seen him struggle against the onyx center before because Yannick Sinner the onyx center is a guy that can hit you off the court. And those are the really, the types of guys that are going to be able to beat Carlos Alcaraz. You look at Djokovic, you look at Medvedev. Those are guys that play incredible defense or not playing very offensive tennis. Carlos Alcaraz can hit through them eventually because he's just that good. He's that talented. He's got that much power off the forehand wing. Um, and then he, you know, obviously he drives you deep enough into the court where he can hit that drop shot. But Jan-Leonard Struff was a guy that was, like you said, Mitch, going for winners, like going for his his offense really early. And I think that's the key to beat him. Now, there are not a lot of guys that can do that, but you'll get a guy like Struff, you'll get a guy like Sinner, maybe a Taylor Fritz, maybe a Zverev. A Zverev did beat him last year, Roland Gross. Those are the types of guys, they play first strike tennis, they can win these matches. But I, I agree with, like, I, I think that, the serve is definitely a huge problem for Carlos Alcaraz. You can even look back at his first first real run, which was the U.S. Open two years ago when he beat Stefano Tsitsipas. Remember what happened last time or the next time out, right, against Peter Gajabczyk? The guy couldn't hold serve. He couldn't hold yeah. serve. Like, uh, it, you know, he has improved the serve, uh, and mm-hmm. he's still only 20, and his serve will improve a lot. You saw Novak Djokovic make huge strides with his serve into his later ages, uh, into his mid-30s. Like that's where he clearly needs to improve, but I still don't think it's there yet where the, where he's so dominant, but when he does manage to hold it a high percentage, he is going to be incredibly dominant because his return of serve is incredible. Uh, His Mm -hmm. offense obviously is. So I think that we didn't really learn that much from the Madrid run as much as we sort of knew a few of the things and they solidified in our mind. Like, okay, this is the type of player that can beat him. Here's how you beat him. It's hard to be able to hit through Carlos Alcaraz because he's so fast and he plays such good defense. But I think on clay, it's a little bit easier. And then I also think, you know, there's still a handful of players that can do it, but uh, I I am a little surprised to see him in Rome, but also given the fact that we didn't see him that much before clay season, I'm not surprised because I think he knows what's ahead of him. I think he knows this is a huge opportunity. Rafa is uh, either not going to play or he's going to play at less than hundred percent. I think he knows that he can win Roland Garros for the first time. So I think he, I I also think he knows that he's probably just as fit as anybody in the field. So I, I think I would have just as much confidence as him that, yeah, I can go out and play Rome and then I can go and roll girls and, and play straight for two weeks and win. so uh, I'm a little surprised, but really also not that
2: surprised. Am I the only one that feels like I still learned about Carlos? Like we're talking about Carlitos here. There's nothing that he can't do that. We haven't seen already, except there is. And I learned that, we talk about his drop shot, and it is a thing of beauty, and it is glorious, and it is magnificent to watch. And then what does he do with it if you end up getting it? He throws out an amazing lob. He's probably the best lobber right now, and nobody's talking about his lob game. It's, I mean, and he's able to do it both on the backhand and the forehand. It is so good, and that's going to come into a huge benefit for him on something like Roland Garros, even this week. I want to see how he implements it this week, where the ball is just going to die on you, and he is hitting when his lob shots on the baseline. Good good luck, and and we saw somebody like Struve, who is 6'5", unable to have any answer for it.
1: Yeah, I think uh, him in Rome and him in the same tournament with Djokovic for the first time in what feels like forever is going to be a good measuring stick. And it's not that we didn't really learn anything; it's that we judge this guy by such high standards. That <laughs> but you know, but
0: I, I, I apologize for interrupting, Mitch. I disagree. Ahead. Like. I, I, with all due respect, Pam, I don't think that's anything new. Like he's been hitting that drop shot for two and a half years. He's been hitting that lob for two and a half years. And the consistency of it, again, that he continues to find solutions to win. I don't think that's new. I think that's just a consolidation of like, yeah, it's real. It's not going away anytime soon. And if you have added confidence, that's, I mean, additional confidence is always a good thing. But to your point, Mitch, I think Alcaraz playing as well as he did is 1A storyline, but 1B is like, who the hell is going to catch him? Because there is no (laughs) one in the field right now who is even close. Yeah. Yeah.
3: No, I mean, to (laughs) Greskin's point, it, it is all cerebral. Like, you can look at Daniel Altmaier, right? Like, that guy plays with just as much intensity. He brings just as much to the table in the power department. But the fact is, like, Carlos is so smart. And I mean, that's what Pam was, was highlighting here, but he, he is such a cerebral player at 20 years old and he's still getting better. And Juan Carlos Ferrero uses the, 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 you know, the film room, uh, the the data to, to just make him uh, into this unbeatable player. So I I think there's so many components that go into why he's so good, but uh, yes, I mean, I, I, it's nothing new. I almost feel like he's just learning the, the best way to implement all his weapons and he still is at 20 years old.
1: Well, I want to get to the Rome matchups and possibilities. Some of our best bets in a second. Uh, Gruskin last week on the show, Zach Cohen, our guy said one of his best bets would be the future on Savalenka 13 to one for the French open. Well, in lieu of her winning Madrid in an epic match over Iga, that numbers come down to about eight or nine, depending on where you get it. And there seems to be now a clear gap, like a wide gap between those two and the rest of the field going for the French open.
0: Well, I think we all echoed that sentiment as well. Like it was right there. It was glaringly obvious and we all have eyes and similar, similar to the men's side where it's like, okay, we have Djokovic, we have Alcaraz. If you want to include a healthy Nadal, given the track record, I'm definitely not holding that against you on the women's side. You have Iga, you have Sabalenka. And that's what makes Rome so fascinating. The idea that it's too much tennis and they, you know, push these events on the schedule too close together. I won't swear, but that's BS. Like, that's just not factually accurate because going from hard courts to clay courts, what do we need, particularly as gamblers? Give me some sample size. Like, give me some match play. And Monte Carlo, Stuttgart, Barcelona, Madrid, Rome, shout out to me for getting that order right. We have sample sizes, and it's like, who's going to step up this week? It's a massive question, and I think it makes the week fascinating.
1: So there, there was an article, Kenny, on uh, tennis.com where it talks about Alcaraz. and talks about Sabalenka on fire after those wins there. I almost feel like we're glossing over. Iga didn't play terrible in this match. Sabalenka, what makes her so special, is that she plays every match on her terms. She'll go out in a blaze of glory, or she can beat anyone. Iga was right there, and I know last year was just a phenomenal year, a, a transcendent year, but maybe I'm just in a, a different camp, and I'm not too worried about Iga because her base game is just so strong, especially on clay.
3: I agree. And in that match, Mitch, it, you know, we, we watched an incredible match in that final. She saved, how many break points did she save? She saved so many break points. She played so well under pressure. Uh, it, it, you know, it was just a case of Sabalenka was clearly the better player on that day. And even when she was the better player, Iga still managed to make that an incredibly difficult match. She uh, was broken back in the second set. She ended up winning the second set anyway. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, I think every time we watch her, we're a little more impressed, right? And I think the spin that she has on that forehand, especially on clay, just makes her just an uh, almost an unbeatable player. So, uh, yeah, I mean, take nothing away from the performance of Iga. I mean, I think Sabalenka was due for a big win over Iga like that. And, uh, I mean, yeah, I I backed Zico. I did take that that future at Roland Garros because uh, Mm -hmm. I figured I already lit enough money on fire with Taylor Fritz winning a French Open. Why not a little bit more on Sabalenka? (laughs) And yeah, it was, uh, I I feel good about it. I mean, she's clearly the number two player in the world. Uh, You know, on the men's side, on the women's side, the number two player, you know, the second likeliest player to win the tournament. I mean, you would probably put at plus 300, plus 400 at the worst. Like, that's incredible value. So shout out to to Zico for finding that. But yeah, I mean, I I thought Sabalenka looked incredibly composed. Obviously, like, she's very well past the yips, the mental issues that have plagued her, the double faults. And I, I mean, yeah, I, I thought the, the way that she played under pressure was probably the most impressive to me. Because like I said, Iga was in that match. Iga played incredibly well on the big points. Uh, Sabalenka just at the, in the end of the match just played a little bit better on them. But uh, I, I mean, yeah, it was it was an incredibly high level. And I think both of these women at this point going into Roland Garros have really set themselves apart from the rest of the field. Hello, going into Rome have set themselves <laughs> yeah. apart from the rest of the field. Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. All
1: right, let's look ahead to that Rome tournament here on Tennis Bets. And uh, Pamela, I know you came on as a Novak Djokovic resident expert, <laughs> slash fan, slash diehard. Came out
2: hot. I'm not wearing my joke, my Djokovic t-shirt. I got four of them to choose from. So they're going to (laughs) come out at some point.
1: (laughs) The question at the bottom is what I wanted to ask you is he's coming in with this track record of revving up and the clay court masters doing better at Rome than the rest into RG, but he's had the injury. He has, we don't really know what the status of that is. What do you think he values more getting these good reps in or just getting through without overexposing himself and getting some rest before RG?
2: I think it's absolutely reps. And hasn't there always been like a joke in tennis of like, he purposely loses the first set just so he could get more reps. <laughs> and that's I'll kind of what, <laughs> he, especially now that he's coming out of injury, but I'm not worried about his elbow injury at all. Um, He has six titles here. If he hasn't won, he's finished runner up. Um, I'm going to bank on him in this tournament to get back into form. I'm not worried about the elbow because you saw him in practice. There was no sleeve. He looks happy, good spirits, nothing. There's just like nothing form wise. That said, he's possibly worried about the injury coming back. He seems to be maybe fully health from it, but also, like, in any, if you look at his draw, it looks tough on paper, but even though he may lack the reps. He still is the higher – he has the better stability in high-pressured situations because of his experience, because of who he is, because he's world number one for however long. So, I mean, you can put him in any matchup. This is a surface that he's comfortable with. He knows, and if he's healthy, it's more so stamina is what I'm looking for. Um, But if he's making it into the semifinals, he's built up into that. So he's ready.
1: So I guess Gruskin kind of asked the same question your way. But maybe a different way to look at it would be if we do get Alcaraz and Djokovic like we all wanted, Mm -hmm. would you take one having more value out of the other by what happens? Or is it the same kind of level of the RG is the goal and we'll just try to get there?
0: Well, if Novak Djokovic gets to a final and is playing Carlos Alcaraz, that means he won five matches, right, Mm -hmm. on his way to it. And it will be fascinating to see where odds makers would set that line because barring Djokovic earning five straight set victories – you have to imagine Alcaraz would be the favorite, right? He won Barcelona. He wins Rome, uh, Madrid, whatever it was. And there goes the perfect game on the order. Um, he, like, I would have to see that level to believe it. But again, not to keep beating this drum, uh, the, the hand motion was necessary. Um, I just think the fact that it's just so conclusive, Djokovic versus Alcaraz. That's what we need to see. How is that not the storyline? I, I know we want to be glass half full, but like Kasparuda sucked. He sucked yeah. during this French Open and clay court stretch. Like mm-hmm. Rublev has probably been the third best player in the world. Mm-hmm. And that's a take. You'd be six shots deep before even considering at the start of the year. Like I agree. I need to see a healthy Novak. That is for sure. It's I agree with Pam reps over rest. But for me, it's like, if yeah. someone beats him now, Alcarez is an unequivocal French open favorite,
1: right? I am, I guess I agree with what you said there. And I think if he does play Alcaraz in the final, he will be an underdog. I all I understand that. I also just always love Djokovic as an underdog. Like, <laughs> that's that's I think what it's, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a over. yeah. It's a
2: over. Well, yeah, we
1: all do. We all we'll do.
2: Three sets. can I ask I you, Pam? A... No, but
3: I I, a I, I.
2: I hope we don't see it because I would rather save it for five sets <laughs> selfishly. I don't care what happens in three. I want to know what happens with the extra two.
0: <laughs> well, I just think well, the, my, so, yeah, you sorry, can say that because, yeah, yeah, go. No, go ahead, Kenny. Go ahead.
3: Well, I was going to say, you can say that because Ben Rothenberg isn't on the show and the people who don't like five set tennis, but I I would say that I, I mean, look, we're talking about Roland Garros. Yeah. Uh, Novak versus Carlos in the semis, Novak versus Carlos in the final. It does seem inevitable, In Rome, though, like especially with Roland Garros coming up, this is – I think this is like an impossible quarter to navigate for Novak Djokovic. And you can look at it in the sense that, okay, well, that's good for him because it's going to tune him up and get him back to his level for Roland Garros. But I I could just as easily see him losing in the third round here. I mean, you you got Claycourt Cam coming in the third round. You've got guys like Sebastian Corda, Felix Azalea, and Holger Moon coming in the bottom after this quarter.
2: Why is that name even being mentioned right now? Irrelevant. Irrelevant.
3: Sebastian Corda can absolutely get hot and absolutely take a set off of Novak Djokovic and make him deep in the. I
2: mean, those are the only two options or people who are going to knock out Novak Djokovic. It's center or runa. That's it. Those are the only two. Not some of the. Korda,
3: I mean, you know. I, I I disagree. Like, I think I think that we haven't seen Novak Djokovic play his best tennis in a while. We also know that at the Masters level, it's just simply not as big of a priority for Novak Djokovic, especially even with Roland Garros coming up. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think there's a lot of guys in this tournament quarter beat Coral beat Alcaraz. And we were just talking about how Alcaraz is going to be the favorite over Novak Djokovic. Be uh, he beat him on right play now. at a big tournament. <laughs> He, he, I mean, he could easily, he could easily win his first round match and get and get right back into form here. He's going to face uh, uh, Roman Safulin. Like, I mean, I, it's just I, look and, sure. and Felix as well as a guy with a lot to prove in this tournament. I just think there's a lot of guys. Holger Runa, a, a guy that uh, has already played Novak Djokovic pretty closely and beat him. I mean there's a lot of guys in this quarter just alone that could either beat him or take a lot out of him to the point where uh he might be battered and bruised by the time he gets to the semis if he if he even gets there and you yeah, you mentioned I mean. sinner sinner's the guy that would have to meet him in the semis and then on the other half of the draw then you would face Carlos Alcaraz I I don't know if if a very deep run is in the is in the cards for Novak Djokovic and I, I don't think that precludes him from winning Roland I'm, Garros I'm just saying at this uh, tournament specifically I don't know if he's going deep
1: I think health is the serious is the is the sounds like the main storyline for Djokovic, obviously, and the rest of these players, uh, because the end goal is Roland Garros, and you don't want to downplay Rome, and you don't want to say like obviously healthy, we think certain things are going to happen. But Gruskin, you kind of look at this topic of who needs a big week in Rome, and it almost feels like it's the players we haven't mentioned because the players we mentioned, it's all fine, like they're not they're not really sweating Rome as much as the other players. But is there somebody else on the outside? That we're looking forward to in Rome from saying if they have a good result, semi final, final championship, that would change your perception of them.
0: Well, championship is too much to expect for this. After mm-hmm. his month of January and given his health issues, if Seb Korda has a big week and beats a whole Garuna, I'm right back in. Like just all the way back in. That's what I'm That's
2: the first round. <laughs> no, exactly. That's one of the hills I'd be ready to
0: die on as a long shot if it were to somehow happen. Look, I think Rude's the big name. I think you mentioned it earlier. Yannick Sinner, just given his injury issues, it'd be nice to see him get to another quarterfinal, semifinal, though he's been pretty consistent in every event he's played this season. Hmm. I mean, yeah, two guys. Again, the list of names Kenny gave in the Djokovic quarter – they all need big weeks because they've all been do do like throughout the course of this season. It's absolutely the Alcaraz, the sinner, the Medvedev, the Djokovic show. They've been the definitive top four. And that's why you're just, you know, again, Rublev's been great. If he does it again, we'll have a cup of coffee come the French Open. But outside of that, like on the men's side, the answer to this question really is everyone.
1: Yeah, Sinner's a good pull because he was playing so well, took the time off, hasn't missed much, but has been in the fight in every match, even the one... And he's
3: at home in Italy.
1: Pamela, who would you say needs a big week in Rome or would be best served to just win a couple matches and gain some momentum going into Roland Garros?
2: Um, That's Novak. (laughs) This is his (laughs) tournament. I I don't think that his draw is very difficult. He's playing uh, opponents that maybe he'll go three sets with but he's not gonna lose to cam nori he's a good storyline yeah he's still not somebody that i love and trust on clay though he is getting better while rinka i'm super looking forward to that match if it comes to fruition but i mean Holger runa you're yeah runa beat him beat Djokovic, but that was on a much faster surface this is clay and this is Djokovic's home court like he knows this and then i am wanting to see him against sinner i would say that would be the one where he could fall is if they do end up facing in the semifinal um that's where it's going to be but I'm really looking those are the only three players that I'm interested in for this entire tournament it's Djokovic, Alcaraz and Sinner. How are those three p- players going to do against each other? us maybe if anybody he was there rolling like nice and pretty until he hit a brick wall into Alcaraz, he just can't get past him. And potentially if I mean let's forget not forget that this is Alcaraz's first time in Rome. He's never played here. It is, guess he should excel because it's a slower surface, but he's played a lot of, he's put a lot of miles on court in an environment that he hasn't been on and he is still facing somebody um, right out of the gate, potentially like Albert L- Ramos, who is, could contend. Um, I'm just interested to see, like if Carlos were to fall, then it could be Sitsipas who opens up the door and gets some confidence going into Roland Garros when he needs it.
1: I worry too, Kenny, about Sitsipas, And we talked about blueprints earlier. Is there starting to be a book out? Maybe not a full book because he's still an exceptional player. But he's he hasn't been a big, big match player, it seems like, in recent memory.
3: Yeah. I, well, this what, what did we say last week on this show? I was saying the vibes are off with Sitsipas. You guys were feeling great about him. I was like, look, I haven't felt good vibes with this guy since he was coming up and breaking through to the top 10, breaking through to the top five, like two years ago when he made the Roland Garros final. I, I just still think mentally he's he's not quite there uh i think you you mentioned it like any top 10 player with a weakness at, at when you're so good on one wing when you're so good with the server in the forehand you're going to get attacked on the backhand we saw it with Matteo Berrettini. we've seen it with stefano Tsitsipas. the difference with Berrettini is he's incredible at getting a forehand uh he runs around his backhand he will he will dictate the point so he gets the shot that he wants i think Tsitsipas has a little too much faith in that backhand w- with how poorly it's been or, or how much it's cost him. So I, I I don't know, like, I don't really know how to rate Sitsipas coming into Roland Garros. Uh, it, we do forget that this guy is just incredible on clay, but at this tournament specifically, I mean, yeah, you have Carlos Alcaraz there in his quarter. So does he get past the quarterfinal? We've seen time and time again that Carlos Alcaraz is better than Stefano Tsitsipas on every surface. So no, he doesn't. I don't think Stefano Tsitsipas gets past the quarterfinal in this tournament. And where does that leave him for Roland Garros? He had the disappointing loss to Struff last week. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I I just, I don't feel very confident in him. Uh, looking up the top, uh, at the top three quarters here, I definitely would echo some of the sentiments here, like Medvedev, uh, Djokovic, these guys need big weeks. But I think in between, you've got a guy like Sasha Zverev, who has a very solid road to the quarterfinal. Mm-hmm. He's going to have to face Luka Nardi, most likely, and then maybe Hu- Hubert Hurkacz or J.J. Wolf. Either one of those guys, not fantastic clay court players. And then he would face Medvedev and and Medvedev again, he played well, altitude clay, he's a decent clay court player. Like, is he a great clay court player? Pam, uh, pa- Pam really just uh, threw dirt on the name of Cameron Norrie. This guy's 37 and 14 over the last three seasons on clay. I don't trust Daniel Medvedev as much as I trust Cam Norrie on clay. Uh, so no, I, I, you know, despite the fact that he's had some decent results. So yeah, I think you got those guys. You've got Taylor Fritz, Claylor Fritz uh, hanging in the wing. So I, I, There's a lot of guys here in the middle, these middle two quarters that I think could make some noise. Um, But the guy, you know, someone in in the Carlos Alcaraz quarter, unfortunately, it is Stefano Sitsipas. I'm not feeling too good about him. You know, I mean, just the same way as I don't feel too good about Dan Evans making it to the semifinals. Like, you're just not going to get past, you're just not going to get past Carlos.
2: I agree with Zarev, though. I was going to mention him. It would be a huge accomplishment for him if he can make it to the semis. He is yeah, and he
3: needs a a huge week, Pam. He does. And like I said, I think it's I think it's all laid out here that he absolutely could have that. I mean, we know he has that rivalry with Medvedev. He's played him a million times. He could absolutely win that match if he gets to that point. I think he can beat Herkots. If he beats Med, you know, then you're looking at the top of the at the top of the quarter here. You've got either Fritz or Rublev, and again, a Fritz Rublev. Fourth round match, you know, those guys have been playing against each other since, what, they were 14 years old, like yeah. in the Chinese Masters. So, yeah, a Junior Masters. So, I think that would be a great match. I would love to see it. And I would love to see, uh, I think we could easily see a Fritz Zverev quarterfinal. And I think that would be really good for both guys because both guys are trying to build some confidence going into Roland Garros.
1: Well, I want to wrap this up by going around the Rome uh, early round action. I know there's some picks. We got to give the people what they want and uh, some early round matchups. Uh, Pam, let's start with you because you're going to be fading an American with a clay court specialist, if I have that right.
2: Yeah. I mean, Tommy Paul, he's a great player, but we haven't really he's not made for like clay. I don't really under, ever understand Tommy Paul's game. It's kind of like betting on the Colts. You bet on him, it doesn't work out. You bet against him, it doesn't work out. But he's going up against uh, Christian Garin, and it's a small favorite at minus 130. I'm totally buying in on that. I mean, he's a Chilean. He's played a lot of clay court this season. He has wins over Lorenzo Sonego. He took Taylor Fritz to at least a second set. To- Set tiebreak in Madrid, which is a much faster surface. He has a strong win over Miramir Kacmanovic. So he's coming into this with a lot of repetitions, a lot of rhythm. Um, and of course, he's strong on clay. And Tommy Paul, he had. He's what played two matches this season, 0-2 in those. Before he went to a a France, what was it, a France Challenger last week where he lost to Andy Murray. I'm worried about that because he lost to Murray 6-1, 6-2, and it's just this is not ready for a surface. Let him get ready for the for Roland Garros. Ugh. Give me Christian Garin, who's just like seriously the much better player on a much slower surface such as this.
1: Yeah, track record definitely favors Garin in this matchup. You wonder what kind of form he's going to have, but that's a very solid, uh, astute analysis there. Uh, Kenny, there's uh, an ARV pick in your in your future, which I think is interesting, going against the local Italian. And you also like uh, the French rapper as well, Moutet, so that's good too.
3: Yes, the French rapper, La. I do I do think that uh, Alvaro Monsignolas is a better player than what we've seen. I mean, he's obviously won one of his last 10 matches, and it's been a, a dreadful run. Uh, even the biggest Albert ramos vignolas fans like myself have considered the fact that maybe it's time for retirement for the Spaniard but I will say most of the most of the opponents that he's lost to except for at the challenger level lacole I don't think is a very good player I've been decent uh you know Jerry Rodanoff, maybe uh you know maybe a big serving lefty who's great on hard courts is not a great loss for him but um look I think that uh, there's a reason why he's the favorite here. There's a reason why the the, the line is moving in his favor. Passero has also only won one of his last five matches. Uh, and there's also the added pressure of being in Italy in front of this Italian crowd. We've seen it from pretty much every player in every hometown crowd situation. Uh, it's just a tough situation. Obviously, you're going to have the crowd on your side, but certain players, uh, it, it really negatively impacts them. I think Robert, Ramos Fagnolas can attack the backhand wing. Uh, I think that he still has plenty of firepower off his forehand. You know, we we saw him add some miles an hour a couple of years ago. I don't think anything has really changed to the contrary. On the side of the coin uh, with the Mutet match, yes, he is the underdog. He's a deserving underdog. Uh, Fabiano Marzen, like I think he, had re- he ripped through qualifying, He but he beat Skatov and uh, Rodriguez Alves. Uh, two guys that are preliminarily challenger players. And the difference here is that I did fade Mutet with Watanuki in Madrid because Watanuki had incredibly impressive wins in qualifying. Different situation with Marozan. I think that these these are not high-quality wins. And Mutet is a fantastic clay court player. He's a fantastic tennis player in general. Uh, He needs to get his legs under him on clay before he's able to make make a run here, maybe at Roland Garros. And I do think that having one clay court match under his belt Uh, You know, having a a little bit of time to practice now, I think he'll be a little bit better suited for this match. And I think he should win. He's much more talented than his opponent here. The question is, okay, well, where how does he feel on clay? And I think he's having a match under his belt. I think he's going to start trending in the right direction. I think taking the odds here as, as a nice plus money underdog is a very good way to buy low. On Mutet because we saw him last year at the U.S. Open. We we know his talent level. He's he's had wins over very quality opponents. He's had very good matches against very good opponents. Um, obviously, we haven't seen a lot of him this year, but I do think that it's in there somewhere. And having having the the experience of just one match last week on clay, I think that helps him out a little bit here. I think he can win this match.
1: So Pam, are you All on Ramos as well? Is that another? I pick was.
2: That was my second pick. That I was gonna pick, uh, Albert. The line has moved in his favor. So when I was talking about this yesterday, when I mentioned it last night in the email, uh, for us to submit these picks, it was he was getting plus money, and now he's a, a small favorite. But wow. I mean, Juicy said it at the start of the show. Uh, we know who the good clay, who the good clay court players are, and that is Albert, <laughs> Albert Ramos of Vignolas. Beautiful name. But it is, I mean, you're talking about a veteran of the game here on such a slow surface. Lefty clay court specialist in the first round of a tournament that plays slow. Yeah, give me him over somebody who has only five clay court matches to his name four of which have come this year. You have to give the nod to experience. It may not be pretty, and he may struggle, which is what we've seen him do a lot recently. And He's making it to a lot of three-set matches. I don't know if Albert has it in him to win in straight sets anymore, mm-hmm. but in the end, I think he'll figure it out, and the experience is going to come in. Um, yeah, and besides, I mean, you have Pissarro who lost to Benoit Pair. Who loses to him?
1: Oh, <laughs> I know
3: that's Hey, so. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. No <laughs> Benoit Pair slander allowed on this show. But I will say, you know, Ramos Pignolas for the last three years now, has just for some reason been allergic to winning in straight sets he's played an incredible mm-hmm. amount of three set matches and every time people say they bring up his age they bring up the yeah. the amount of tennis that he's played this mm-hmm. guy has proven time and time again that he has the stamina so I, I do think that there's i don't think there's really any concerns here for me that that he might have to dig deep yeah. to win this match uh, and i think that that almost it, honestly gives him an, an advantage over his
2: opponent here mm-hmm. so and i want to go- I want two to go and, to a, two and over here. We both like Albert.
1: Hopefully, I want to go to a comment in the chat right now because we want some advice from the experts here. Payla money line against Cressy, serve and volley, serve bot, according to Riley Opelka. He made this year's team, but he is not a natural on clay. So, what do we think about this?
3: I like it a lot. I like Udo Pella a lot. I thought we saw earlier this year in the golden swing that he still has some good tennis left in him. He's obviously a talented player and Maxim Cressy uh, we we really Maxim Cressy is such a fascinating player because he uh, he's, he's almost like a very boring J.R. Smith in the sense that he's just really good for like two weeks and then you just, he disappears, uh, yeah. you know, because I think whether it's on grass or on fast, hard, you know, the surfaces will play to his advantage. Uh, yes. I, I would agree with Jerome Powell. He's not a natural clay court player. Uh, He has not won a match yet here on clay this season. He's 18 and 28 across all levels on clay for his career. Uh, Absolutely love the Pella pick. Uh, That is, I think, on Friday or Thursday, Friday. So uh, maybe it's a couple of days out. It's not making my tomorrow's predictions, but uh, absolutely will be on Guido Pella there. Great sharp eye
2: from Jerome Powell. Shout out to JP. I don't know who that is,
3: but uh, (laughs) it's a great
2: pick. I think I would be more inclined to look at the over rather than taking a straight money line because Maxime Cressy, I am on, I have a soft spot for him. I think he's a great player, um, but I mean, Pea, he's not a Baratini <laughs> And so that's the only straight set loss that he's had. Even just recently in Madrid, granted is a faster surface, but he took Wawrinka, who is a really good clay court player, to three sets, two tie breaks. So he has the competitiveness competitiveness in him to be to do well on this surface do I agree that he should be the favorite probably not but I would more so be looking to this to go over three sets
3: I also will point out Cressy has only won two sets on clay this year and they're both in tie breaks and dating back to last Rome where he beat 40 in qualifying uh, he's he is simply he is only winning sets by tiebreak. And he's really not winning many sets on clay. it's not like he's like close to winning these matches. He's just not a clay court player. It's been very difficult for him. We saw him obviously have a good match against Sofrenka in Madrid, but those are different conditions and altitude. These are going to be much different. Different for High him. High breaks work
2: well in overs. Yeah, yeah they I, do.
1: I, I want to ask quick questions for two matches tomorrow that I'm looking at, and uh, just want to hear your thoughts on it. We haven't we talked about him a while on this show. But Corda is a slight underdog coming back from injury, anything worth that, and even money that I see on the sportsbook I'm looking at in the Ben shelton book match. So thoughts on those two matches? Well, Kenny, go first and see what you, uh, what your advice is.
3: Yeah, so I, I know a decent amount about these two young whippersnappers. I would say, first of all, with Corda, I mean, Roman Safuelin has... Uh, betting on Roman Safuulin is maybe one of the best decisions you can ever make because when he or when he's a favorite anyway because I think no one is lining up like there's no line outside to bet on Roman Safuulin as a minus 150 favorite and the fact that he was a big favorite today over uh, Marco Skiron told me all I needed to know about that match. I think he's a, a solid tennis player, obviously a little more suited for hard courts, but uh, he really gives nothing away, uh, hit his sur- hits his serve pretty hard. Like, I think this is going to be a difficult match for Corda. And once again, there's a reason why the line has moved towards Roman Tafuel. And um, I did mention earlier in the show that, yes, Corda could get hot. Like, is a guy that has a lot of natural talent, a lot of ability. And if he just wins a couple matches, like, he could just be off to the races and take a set off of a top 10 player, maybe win that match. That is where I lied. But no, I- I'm staying away. I'm going to take a wait-and-see approach. With Sebastian Corda, with with Alexander Bublik, I've seen a much more engaged Bublik. Uh, He's—I don't know why people have hated his game on clay so much because his game just works so well on clay. He has incredible touch. Uh, You know, we talk about Carlos Alcaraz's drop shots all the time. We never talk about Bublik's drop shot, right? Um, But I, I do think this is a tough match for Ben Shelton. I don't necessarily think Shelton's a bad clay court player. I think his game is very suited for clay, but I do think he is a bad returner. And that hurts you on clay. You got to return well on clay and Bublik with the free points on the serve with the big serve. uh, I think it's a little bit of a pressure spot for, for Ben Shelton. I think he's going to be put in a lot of tough pressure situations. And I don't know if he handles them quite well. So I would actually say that Bublik, who's a slight underdog here at some books anyway, um, would be my pick.
1: So Pam, do you think that this should be a stay away or do you, I mean, Bublik had a giant racket smash today, but he did win. So
2: when he, when Doocy was saying he's more engaged, yeah, the racket smashing is definitely part of that. He's entertaining, but Bublik is definitely not somebody that I like to put my money on. Um, he's too erratic, and it's he's so he's such a volatile player that he can lose in straight sets because he just doesn't care, or he's gonna give it his effort and try to like find if he figures that he actually has a shot. So for me, from a sports betting perspective, I don't see value in betting on him or against him um unless he's playing like a top 10 top 25 opponent um that's just my perspective so for me stay away and as far as like corda he's just not somebody that i can back right now who's played one match and it's a straight set loss um granted it was two tie breaks but since australian open i need to see more from him in order to back him as an underdog so i would be going to saf route um or pass as well
1: well, guys and girl, this has been fun. Uh, and I will say, Kenny, that the other one that I like tomorrow, just quickly, is uh, Coco Overs are back. I think Putin's over. Oh, ah,
3: Coco Overs. I Absolutely. Think
1: I think that's going over 20 and a half, because I think Putin's Save is feisty, and Coco might not be fully Yeah, right.
3: Putin Save. I mean, I, I could see Putin winning that match straight Good. straight I'm up gonna, in two sets. But I, take, I agree like, with you on the over.
1: I'm going to take Pam's advice when I'm too much of a coward and just go over, So I, because I don't have... You know, the cojones to pick the actual upset. So I'm just gonna go. Here, over. Here's
3: the thing about overs, they win a lot, and, yeah. but we also it doesn't mean that we can't judge the people that take the overs. Like you know, I, give me a side, give me a side.
1: I mean, no, it's hard. Pam, it's hard,
3: honestly. Sometimes, sometimes yeah. the overs apply. play.
1: And Pam knows that from football, sportsbook betting, and and handicapping. And an under is just not fun. It's anxiety. I'm sweating. I'm just. I'm not in in a good player. Yeah, I definitely too The, short the
3: over me. is the quintessential both teams played hard bet. Where you just like both players, they're very for good everyone.
1: <laughs> and, it's really, and it's really the only bet that you win before it's over. Like you can just get out before the match is actually over. Well,
3: I I will say, just strategy wise, I I usually reserve my overs for the matches involving Djokovic, the matches involving Nadal when he's when he's healthy, and Alcaraz. Like those are the only times I think it's very uh useful to bet overs instead of spreads because. A lot of times a player will come out strong. The Stroof match against Poss, great example. I had Stroof plus four and a half games. I was shaking in my uh, warm down Stan Smith sneakers because I was like, oh my goodness. He just took the first set in the tie break. He is not going to right in the spread. Uh, so uh, it can be useful in those matches as well. When, As Pam pointed out, when you're like expecting a tie break and you just think the player is going to lose, then it, it's, a good, it's a good decision.
1: Well, pleasure is always to be doing this tennis bet show. Apologies, Alex Ruskin had to bounce out early. Uh, Kenny Ducey, thanks for coming on. Pamela Maldonado, this was fun. Uh, I, mean, I think this is a reoccurring thing now, so you're stuck with us, unfortunately. But if you uh, can
3: stand being on a show with me, Pam, I think you're you're uh, you're built you're you know, for this. So. And they're
2: going to be combating a lot, so it's going to be for great like <laughs> yeah. great right.
3: combative. Never ever. <laughs> it's look yeah. at the end of the day, it's all sports. You know, It doesn't, yeah, it it doesn't matter. It's trivial. I think,
1: thanks to producer Mike Haston for producing the heck out of this show. We're on the Tennis Channel podcast network as well. Spotify, Apple, Amazon, all your podcast platforms. And every Wednesday during Quay court, court season, this show will be on the Tennis Channel YouTube page, the Tennis Facebook, and Tennis Bets Twitter. Thanks to Kenny Ducey, Pamela Maldonado, and Alex Gruskin. My name is Mitch Michaels. This was Tennis Bets. We'll see you next week. Try to win some money and stay safe out there.